0: The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, where I bring you an overview of news stories and papal events in the Vatican, as well as an interview segment. My guest this week is Jesuit Father Dominic Markle of the Pontifical Biblical Institute at Rome's Gregorian University. He's also professor of Hebrew Bible Old Testament studies at Innsbruck University in Austria. We met to talk about some astonishing documentation rediscovered in the archives of the Biblical Institute, documentation that basically consists of lists of refugees Given shelter from the Nazi persecution by Catholic institutions in Rome. A focus of ours was the collaboration over the years between Catholic and Jewish institutions in this research. So stay tuned for that conversation. And now the news highlights Sunday, November 5th. After praying the Angelus, Pope Francis expressed his condolences for the victims of a deadly earthquake in Nepal. And prayers for Afghans who've taken refuge in neighboring Pakistan. He also said I continue to think about the serious situation in Palestine and Israel where many many people have lost their lives. In God's name I beg you to stop cease using weapons. I hope that avenues will be pursued so that an escalation of the conflict might be absolutely avoided so that the wounded can be rescued And help might get to the populations of Gaza, where the humanitarian situation is extremely serious. May the hostages be freed immediately. There are also many children among them. May they return to their families. Yes, let's think of the children, of all the children affected by this war, as well as in Ukraine and by other conflicts. This is how their future is being killed. Let us pray there might be the strength to say, Enough. Sunday afternoon, Pope Francis spoke by phone with Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi at the request of the President. The presidency's website reported that Raisi expressed his appreciation for the Pope's appeals for a ceasefire in Gaza. Monday, November 6th, Pope Francis addressed members of the Apostolic Fraternity of Mercy and the community of the Little House of Mercy in Gela, Sicily, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Fraternity and the 10th anniversary of the Little House. He commended the Fraternity for its 25-year-long commitment to serving people in need, urging them to embrace humility, creative service, and a desire to lead people to God's tender embrace. Also Monday, meeting a delegation of the Conference of European Rabbis, Pope Francis highlighted the crucial importance of Christian-Jewish dialogue in bringing about peace and justice in the Holy Land. He also condemned resurgent anti-Semitism in various parts of the world. Not weapons, not terrorism, not war, but compassion, justice, and dialogue are the fitting means for building peace, said Francis he reiterated his impassioned plea for peace in the Holy Land, and he focused on the ongoing war in the region. The Pope handed his prepared marks to the rabbis and said he wasn't really feeling well enough to read it. Holy See Press Office Director Matteo Bruni later told reporters the Pope had a bit of a cold and was in the midst of a heavy schedule of audiences. He wanted to greet the European rabbis individually, and for this reason, he handed them his speech. Now, Tuesday, November 7th was a quiet day, but Wednesday, November 8th, at the general audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis, continuing his catechesis on apostolic zeal, offered reflections on servant of God Madeleine Delbreu, saying she offers an example of how to embrace our baptismal call to share the joy of the gospel. He urged the faithful to learn from the 20th century French social worker, writer, and mystic, who for over three decades lived, prayed, and worked among the poor in the peripheries of Paris. After a period of agnosticism in her youth, Madeleine encountered Christ through the witness of her friends and then, following her conversion, chose to live a life completely devoted to God in the heart of the church and the world. Francis said she came to understand that the emptiness that cried out in her anguish was God seeking her. Also Wednesday, a joyful story. Pope Francis baptized a three-month-old Ukrainian baby, Zakirai, the youngest of ten children of a Ukrainian couple, and this happened during a liturgy in the chapel of the Santa Marta residence. The family lives in western Ukraine, a region relatively distant from the front lines of the war. Vitali and his wife Vita belonged to the neocatechumen away. Thursday, November 9th, Pope Francis extended his greetings to the patrons of the arts in the Vatican Museums, expressing gratitude for their commitment to the important work of preserving and restoring the artistic and cultural patrimony of the Vatican Museums. The patrons were founded 40 years ago in the United States and are in Rome to celebrate that 40th anniversary. Francis commended the patrons for their appreciation of the diverse forms of art, emphasizing the power of art to illuminate the beauty of God's creation and the mysteries embedded in human life. He told his guests, Your commitment is a concrete sign of your appreciation of the potential of the arts, in their many forms, to open minds and hearts to the beauty of God's creation and the richness and mystery of our human life and calling. The work of conservation to which you contribute not only safeguards this precious legacy of the past, but also invites new generations to reflect on the profound interplay between art, history, culture, and faith. Also Thursday, as he met with the equestrian order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem, Pope Francis decried the immense suffering and death of so many innocent people in the places where the Lord lived. We are sadly witnessing a tragedy unfolding in the very places where the Lord lived, where he taught us through his humanity to love, to forgive, and to do good to all. And instead, we see them torn apart by tremendous suffering that affects so many innocents above all, so many innocent dead. The Holy Father also pointed to the main theme of the Order's every four-year consultation meeting, and that theme is formation. Initial and ongoing formation, practical and spiritual, these are four guidelines, he said, that we can see represented in the sign of the cross, which stands out clearly on your mantles and animate your spirituality. Latin Patriarch Cardinal Pier Battista Pizzaballa was unable to attend the consulta, given the situation in the Holy Land. Also Thursday, Pope Francis sent a message to organizers of a campaign in Italy to combat violence against women, and he called for education that places human dignity at the center. Domestic violence is a poisonous weed, he said, that plagues our society, and it must be torn out at the roots. The organizers of this campaign are Radio 1 Rai, an Italian state radio channel, and Codmi Women Online, an Italian nonprofit that helps women victims of abuse. They recently launched a joint campaign entitled A Long Wave to Combat Male Violence Against Women, also Thursday. Pope Francis sent a message to the fourth global symposium, Uniservitate, at De La Salle University in Manila. He called for education to instill a harmony between learning, feelings, and service. His letter of encouragement and gratitude was read out at the event on Thursday. Friday, November 10th, the Holy Father received the bishops of Sri Lanka on their Ad Limina visit. These mandatory visits to Rome by all the world's bishops usually take place every five years. Bishops are welcomed by the Pope, and they also visit the various offices and dicasteries of the Roman Curia. Also Friday, a message was sent by the Holy Father to the participants in the sixth edition of the Paris Peace Forum. It was read to the Assembly at the November 10th Opening Gathering by Archbishop Celestino Migliore, Apostolic Nuncio to France. Well, those are the week's highlights, but now, stay here for my conversation with Father Dominic Marco. Welcome to the Q&A segment. Today's question is, what is a patriarch? The word patriarch, at its root, was a reference to a chief or father of a family. In the Bible, you remember that the title patriarch was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are referred to as the three patriarchs of the people of Israel. Sometimes the head of an extended well-known family is known as the patriarch. Such was the case in the United States when John Kennedy was president. One of nine children born into a wealthy family, his father Joseph Kennedy was often referred to as the patriarch, of the Kennedy family. In the Catholic Church specifically, the bishop who is head of a particular autonomous church is ordinarily a patriarch. This autonomous church is known in canon law as sui iuris. A patriarch holds precedence over primates, metropolitans, and bishops. In order of dignity, there are five principal or major patriarchs. Rome, Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. There are also patriarchs of several Eastern Catholic rites, Maronite, Melkite, Syriac, Armenian, and Chaldean rites. The Pope is effectively Patriarch of the Latin Church. However, in 2006, Pope Benedict XVI dropped Patriarch of the West from his official titles, and it no longer appears in the Pontifical Yearbook, the Annuario Pontificio. The Vatican said at the time that the title Patriarch of the West symbolized the Pope's special relationship with and jurisdiction over the Latin Church, and that the omission of the title neither symbolizes in any way a change in this relationship, nor distorts the relationship between the Holy See and Eastern Churches. Aside from the Patriarch of Rome, who is the Pope, the Patriarchs have no power greater than that held by other bishops, but they do have greater honor because of the history of their sees. EWTN Communicating the Faith I want to thank you very much for what you have done for us these years as we converted to cabalicism two years ago, and you had a huge influence on us, the information that we got from you. So I do want to say a huge thank you for this show. So I'm listening, and I'm a new listener to
1: this station, and I'm actually going to get a lot of friends to listen to this station. I'm so excited. EWTN's Religious Catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. His Angels
0: at Our Side by Father John Horgan unveils the surprising role of the angels in our lives and what you must do to gain their help. His Angels at Our Side book and DVD set is one of many great Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. This is a Messy Family Minute from Mike and Alicia Hernan. We want to encourage you to become a storyteller in your family. Tell stories about your childhood to your children and even your grandchildren. Your adventures, your struggles, overcoming fears, and even your mistakes. Why? It can help your children understand that their own experiences are normal. It sends a powerful message that they are not alone and that there's no shame in struggling. Some parents may be afraid that this will make them look weak, but this kind of vulnerability is actually a strength. You're telling your kids that acknowledging mistakes can be the first step to improving your life. Saying, I felt this way, gives them permission to open up to you. And if you're struggling to relate to a child during a difficult period of their life, this may actually be a point of connection. This can be also a great teaching tool, much like a parable or story of a saint. But this time, this is your own real life story that can teach a lesson. When you share with your children about your own walk with Christ, it's a great story that your children need to hear. To listen to our podcast and sharing your story, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. When we pray, we should talk to God. It sounds simple. It's not always that simple. It's just like making any conversation, though. So sometimes we need prayer starters, things that'll give us a boost and get the conversation going. The formal prayers we have in the church, like the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, even the Creed, all of these things are ways that we can begin to talk to God. God doesn't get tired of hearing us say the standard prayers of the church. We can begin there. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider for quite an extraordinary edition. My guest today is Jesuit Father Dominic Markle of the Pontifical Biblical Institute at Rome's Gregorian University. We were also to have E.L. Nidam Orvieto. She's Director of the International Institute for Holocaust Research at Yad Vashem. But if our listeners know The latest news from Israel, she could not make it. So, welcome, Father Dominic, and um, tell us a little bit about yourself, for starters.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm from Austria, originally from Tyrol, Innsbruck. Uh, I grew up there. But for uh, 10 years, uh, 2013 to uh, 23, I was teaching here at the Pontifical Biblical Institute, which is a wonderful environment with uh, 300 students from 17 nations. It's really the whole world coming together to study the Bible in a wonderful environment.
0: No, the Greg is, because you're part of the Greg, as is the Orientale, that institute as well, a magnificent university um, in Rome. Now, we're actually meeting near the Gregorian, where very shortly there will be a conference entitled Documents from New Documents from the Pontificate of Pope Pius XII and Their Meaning for Jewish Christian Relations, a dialogue between historians and theologians. And that's kind of what we want to stress today. We want to talk about the documents, your role in helping to rediscover them. So um, it's astonishing. Documentation that was rediscovered in the archives of the Biblicum, which is the nickname for the Institute. And um, it consists of lists of refugees who were given shelter when the, from the Nazi persecution by Catholic institution, institutions in Rome. And so you are obviously among historians, among those who were involved in, the, in this project. So first of all, I think we do have to look a little bit of the history. Rome occupied by the Nazis for 9 months from September 1943 until the Allied forces liberated the city in June 1944. During that time of course terrible persecution and the Jews among others w- were deported, uh, murdered many of them, etc. But we do have you're going to tell us about how many of them were helped and saved by Catholic institutions. So, Father, I understand the list has already been published by a historian, and that was done in 1961, but the complete documentation um, really was lost for a while and was rediscovered. Tell us about that rediscovery.
1: Yes, it's a fascinating story. What was published in 1961 is just the the summary, a simple list of uh, those uh, religious orders, and institutions, Catholic institutions and the, the respective numbers of Jews who allegedly were uh, hosted and, and hidden in those institutions uh, but whether one should have believed uh, those numbers, this list was open, let's say, to Interpretation. Interpretation, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, What we have rediscovered is the full documentation, which was uh, done by um, the bursar of the Biblical Institute immediately after the liberation of Rome through the Allies between wow. June 44 and the spring of 45 and quite soon after that in June 45 this father Birolo an Italian Jesuit Gozzolino Birolo who is otherwise completely unknown uh, died from cancer so which might be one of the reasons why also the documentation went lost
0: Sure but there's uh, so many interesting church people involved in this involved in documentation Cardinal Bea, I'll, I'll, tell us about him.
1: Bea's role is uh, fascinating too. Uh, during uh, Birolo's time as minister and bursar of the Institute, Bea was actually the director from 1930 onwards and throughout the Second World War. Uh, Bea's role is uh, fascinating because he, as a rector, played a very strong role. Uh, during the Second World War, no day of teaching. Uh, Uh, was cancelled at the institute they always were teaching also they continued to publish the journal Biblica throughout the period and it's clear uh, Bea is known for his role then at the Second Vatican Council as one of the main people behind the document Nostra Etate which really is the big game changer in Catholic-Jewish relations uh, with a completely new and positive outlook on Judaism so it seems very likely that Bayer played a role uh, for the documentation, but we have no evidence for it. Oh, it's uh, fascinating. Interesting. <laughs> yes. There's
0: documents yet to be discovered, it seems.
1: Uh, we hope to discover more, yes. But, um,
0: and your involvement in this, in the rediscovery?
1: Well, it's uh, somewhat complicated, too, because actually the documentation was already discovered in 2008, by uh, Father Maurice Schirbert, who is a former rector of the Institute. When he was working uh, for his book uh, on the first centenary of the Institute, which was founded in 1909, um, he was working in the archives and came across, completely surprisingly for him, uh, this this material. Now, he showed the the material to Father Sale, a historian at the Civilta Cattolica, who understood uh, what the material was about, but eventually decided not to publish anything about it for several reasons. One of them being that the material, or it was partially known and published that summary list, but also the whole topic was complicated through the discussions around the role of uh, Pius the Twelfth during the period. Sure. So it's highly politicized. And then uh, also Father Saleh understood that um, publishing anything about this material would require a lot of research for which he didn't have the resources during the period. So somehow, and also this Father Gilbert left the Institute after 2009, so somehow uh, the discovery uh, again um, was half forgotten. A few people in the community still knew about it, and I heard about it from Californian Jesuits, then superior of the community, Father Steve Pisano. Oh, um, I know uh, the name. Soon after my arrival in 2013. But I actually could have a closer look at the documentation only in um, January of 2019, when I understood what it's really about. And um, together with our rector, Father Mike Kolarchik, now we have a new rector, Father Peter Lubowski but um, uh, then rector the Echolachic, and I uh, decided that we must um, uh, work together with Jewish institutions to do the research uh, on this material, especially, of course, Yad Vashem as the global center of research on these matters, but also very especially the Jewish community of Rome, who is the mostly affected community sure. of, of this history. I remember
0: very well covering Pope John Paul's visit to the Jewish community here. It was a, a first in the history of the Catholic Church, but um, really not surprising. I mean, uh, John Paul opened many, many doors to many people. He grew up in Poland. Had some of his closest friends were Jewish, so he knew a great deal about the faith. Obviously, World War II, you mentioned Pope Pius Twelfth. And he was pope from 1939 to 1958, but accused by many during the, during the war of not doing enough to, um, to denounce Nazism, denounce what was happening in Germany. And, and, but it was known by many. There's a lot of fascinating documents in the Vatican archives that show work, which you're going to be telling us more about in a minute, uh, behind the scenes with the religious institutes in Rome. Getting passports, uh, priests and nuns and others helping the Jewish people to get passports to go to other countries. Many of them, you know, decided to travel, like to to Latin America. But um, Pius's name always does come up in relation to this. What did he do? Did he not do enough? Etc. Et in denouncing. But sometimes you wonder if he had publicly, and of course we didn't have social media or anything like that at the time, which I suppose is a good thing, um, but if he had denounced Nazism publicly, what harm might he have caused more harm to, to the Jews in Germany or anywhere else in the world? So that's you know always kind of an, an open question. But working with the Jewish community in Rome, I think what, what's important today in talking to you is to stress this collaboration between two amazing institutions, the Catholic Biblicum, and then of course Yad Vashem, and and, and Dr. Um, Dr. Wait a here, Dr. Nidam Orvieto, who could not be here. Our hearts are broken for her, for everyone, obviously in uh, in Israel and and at Yad Vashem. So the newly rediscovered lists refer to more than four thousand. 300 people, identifying 3,600 by name, that was one of the extraordinary things about this list. Now, that um, comparison with documents in the Jewish archives in Rome indicates that 3,200 certainly were Jews of those new names on the list. And of the latter, it's known where they were hidden and, in certain circumstances, where they lived before the persecution but there were um, hundreds of the Catholic nuns and priests whose orders gave, um, you know, hid, helped, et cetera, the Jews.
1: Exactly. So it's more than 150 uh, women's congregations and more than 100 uh, men's con- congregations who were involved in these um, actions. Uh, and obviously, uh, it must have been in the end, thousands of people who knew about it and were somehow involved in these actions. So it's a a massive operation. But um, there are many things that we don't know. And this is mainly to do with uh, the caution uh, during the period not to write down anything uh, for obvious reasons. Anything written would be dangerous uh, uh, if found by Gestapo, SS or other uh, Nazi occupation uh, forces. So uh, many things went by word of mouth. And for this reason, we do not know how coordinated these actions were. We do not know who gave orders or what orders were given. Uh, It is uh, quite likely that at that scale, uh, at least permission must have been given from high authorities in the Vatican because of the uh, strict uh, um, clausura uh, uh, in most of these communities.
0: Exactly. Well, that's it for today, but please come back and join me again next week on Vatican Insider. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.